Welcome to the Ethics Experts, where we're elevating ethics and compliance and HR to the strategic level it's supposed to be. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ethics Experts. If it's your first time joining us, welcome. And if you are a returning subscriber, hello, Bestie. Hope you're having an amazing, wonderful day. See what happens when you join the Ethics Experts community. You get a bonus greeting on every single episode. So hit that subscribe button and join us as we change the world and make the world a better workplace. I am here with my good friend, Deb Barrett. Uh, hey, Deb, what's happening? Hey, Nick. How are you? I'm great. I'm, uh, I've been excited to get you on the show and pick your brain a lot. You're kind of at the cutting edge of ethics and compliance. You're in the, the tech industry for a large organization that's driving a lot of change uh, in the marketplace. But I think what's really exciting is the kind of change that you're driving in your organization and the leadership you are, uh, you're really kind of a, a catalyst for. So um, let's just dive in. You know, a passion area for you um, that I think resonates deep, deeply with me is diversity and inclusion. And uh, I know you spend a lot of time on, you know, outside of the organization and inside the or organization trying to drive that forward. Talk to me. Let's first start by kind of talking a little bit about this, um, how people get D, D, e, D, e, and I wrong and how that I is such a critical piece of this equation. Absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I think diversity is can become just a numbers game and, you know, trying to make sure that um, you have the right mix of um, employees. But the reality is, even when you get diversity right, if you don't have inclusion, you're really not leveraging all of the benefits of diversity. Um, and I think part of inclusion is safety. Um, I think it's really, really important that you create a safe environment where employees feel like they can contribute their best work, they can make mistakes. Um, you know, you would think the tech industry would be all over that because the only way to be the leader is to be willing to make mistakes right. over and over and over again until you have that one, you know, big innovation. Um, but the reality is, I, I do think um, it, it's actually, it takes a deliberate effort to create an inclusive, a safe and inclusive environment for employees, especially those that are underrepresented. Um, so this is something that I spend a lot of time on. It's a passion project. Uh, I have a very full daytime job, but I will always make time for mentees or people who have great ideas about, you know, how we can drive progress in these areas. Um, this is my first podcast. Normally, I would never agree to anything like this that would make me this nervous. But well, um, I'm honored. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think this topic is just so important that I'll, you know, put myself out there. So yeah, that's good. Step up on this uh, soapbox and let's start. Uh, let's start singing the song here. So you know, what is it about? Like at some point, this acronym wasn't around, and it was called something else by our parents or whatever. Um, when did this start to really resonate with you as, you know, the seed that grew into this, what you refer to as a passion project? Yeah. Um, so the younger me was super focused on, you know, title, compensation, I mean, like all the material things. And mm -hmm. um, when I finally got into the role, I just assumed it would be like Nirvana, you know, and I've arrived, you know, but um, that's really not how it is. I mean, it's, you can't assume uh, that you're going to be part of the circle, even with a title, a title means nothing. A title in $6 mm -hmm. will get you a Starbucks. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you really have to work to be 
included and part of the mission and part of the strategy. And, you know, I kind of feel like women in general, um, you know, one of the areas that I think, you know, is a strength that's overused is responsibility. I feel responsible for everything. So, I mean, I will work myself to death to make sure I'm meeting all my commitments. And, um, but the reality is, more responsibility doesn't necessarily mean that you're contributing, that you're part of the mission. And so I just started thinking about, you know, how, how do I get in the circle? How do I contribute in a way that's meaningful for the company? Not just ethics and compliance where we're trying to, you know, protect the company's reputation, uh, protect the revenue, you know, like how can we really make this a great place to work so that people right. to work here? And, you know, it's the great race for talent right now. So, I mean, I'm glad I've been thinking about this for a while because I think it is really, really important. Um, and the younger generation is asking all the right questions. You know, what does your executive team look like? You know, um, tell us how many underrepresented you have in management. What are your environmental goals? I mean, this is unheard of until recently, you know? And so, um, you know, fortunately in tech, I mean, talent is the key. So it, it, some of the changes we've seen, you know, on the ESG side is our CFO um, taking the helm for as the executive sponsor for our ESG program. Now, part of that is that, you know, reporting disclosures may be impacted by some of the things that the um, SEC is talking about with um, ESG reporting. But I think the other part is that he's getting a lot of questions from investors. So it's no longer like a nice to have or the right thing to do. It's like a business initiative. So I think that's really exciting. And obviously one component of ESG is diversity and inclusion, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so um, I just see all of these intersects. Um, but at the end of the day, I always come back to if you don't have inclusion, you can't really leverage all these great things. So, yeah, um, you said it's so much in there. There's so much to unpack. Um, I want to circle back to something you said where you said just because you have a bunch of responsibility doesn't mean you're actually kind of part of it all. And it feels like, hey, just because I'm carrying a bunch of weight doesn't mean I have like a seat at the table. Is that what your experience yep. was? Is that and tell me about when that tell me about when that light bulb came on and how there was that gap sort of between the title and the seven dollars you spent on the Starbucks. <laughs> Um, well, as I mentioned, I mean, earlier in my career, I actually equated responsibility almost the same as title and, you know, benefits. So I had a lot of responsibility and I looked around me, you know, and I didn't have the same title as my, my male peers. And the first time I mentioned it to my supervisor, I think I was 30 at the time, I said, you know, do I have to leave to move up? I, I mean, I'm like, that would just kill me because I love this company. I'm, I'm dedicated to, you know, making it a success. And, um, and he literally looked at me like I had 10 heads. It was, you know, our regional vice president. And he said, but you never complain. I thought you were happy. And I said, well, I, I am happy, but it's so obvious that you know, I have more responsibility than some of my peers that have bigger titles. And so I guess I just don't understand what I'm doing wrong. And, you know, he said, well, in engineering, you know, we, we only have a very, very low percentage of promos every 
cycle. And since you never said anything and you never complained, I thought you were happy. And at that minute, I mean, the light bulb went on. If you're going to sit there and wait to be discovered, you're going to be waiting a long time. So, I mean, that's something I talk to my mentees about all the time. I'm like, don't assume your supervisor knows that you care about these things. I mean, you have to be really deliberate, even though it's an uncomfortable discussion. And so that was one intersect. And then um, even at the next level, you know, trying to get to the VP level, um, you know, I would get feedback from the times I was put up for promo that was really soft, like she's too nice you know, uh, I'm not sure she can influence decision making. And the reality is, I was the lead for operationalizing the program. So how do you think we have a program? It's not <laughs> the boss, you know, Isn't that um, funny, not funny, but so, bizarre. Yeah. So you have to be really careful if you have kind of a, I, I don't want to call it female, but I think this is something that's pretty common for women. Um, or even people in operations, like if everything's going well, you take pride in that, like the organization doesn't have to worry about your area, um, but that's not a great career strategy. You know, I mean, you have to actually have people knowing what you're contributing in order to be recognized for it. That is true. And that's that kind of, you got to kind of ring your own bell or toot your own yeah, horn or whatever, really, which is hard for, really hard. but it's just, um, it's just, it's really like a fascinating uh, thing for me because there's a bunch of ways to uh, persuade somebody. And some people get persuaded by fear and some people get persuaded by allegiance and some people get persuaded by, I don't know, loyalty or because they feel accepted. Like there are a bunch of avenues to drive change. And it's not just, but it's like, because we're, I don't know why, I mean, I'm gonna, I guess I'm going to say this and then you can respond and see if it's a question or whatever, but like, it's not just somebody walking around with a bullhorn, cracking a whip over people to drive effective change. The more effective change is the change that can happen in people's hearts and not to make a broad brushstroke, but many times women or these sort of, uh, sort of atypical personalities I find can be way more effective than the roll my sleeves up. I'm just going to yell and pound the table and force people to do things because the, the type of um, compliance, I guess they get is it's surface level compliance. It's not sort of deep heart level compliance. And that's kind of the, the change that's really going to stick. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. I, I have a lot to say about this and I hope I don't go too far. You can go nuts, go crazy. Fun, but yeah. um, when I think about um, specifically ethics and compliance, because that's, that's my area. Um, I think you're absolutely right that it is all about winning hearts and minds. Um, when I first got into compliance in 2012, this kind of compliance, ethics-related compliance, I was super focused on rules and employees knowing all of the rules because we had just gotten through an SEC investigation. And so I sort of had like PTSD over what the expectations were. And so all of my training I think was very um, procedurally heavy, you know, and I would do it often because I know the only way you're going to pick it up is if I say it again and again and again. Right, right, right. Um, but I wasn't building, uh, I wasn't building relationships that way. It was thought of as more of a burden. And 
So once the company got off probation, you know, I started thinking like, what, what is not going right here? You know, like, why do people still think that this is owned by the compliance organization? The business owns this, you know? And so now um, I think what we learned is that number one, some of these areas of compliance are super technical and employees only touch them once a year, you know, once every two years. So of course they're not going to be an expert. So instead of focusing on rules, we, we just use business cases. I mean, most companies are doing this now, you know, this isn't anything new, but just for us, that was an awakening because we could use a business case to explain to employees how these risks come to light, you know? And so, because it used to be, I'd talk about all the rules and they'd say, well, I don't deal with the government, you know, I'm not. I'm not doing business development. And I'm like, but you're externally facing, you know, you are in a procurement role, let's say. I mean, so you have a lot of power and influence. And so I just need you to be aware of these things. And so now we'll just use some of the bigger cases. Um, Our company's done a great job of like bringing in the Volkswagen plaintiff's lawyer for the Dieselgate case, you know, to talk to us about like the details, the nitty gritty details of that case. And it was fascinating. And so I kind of used that information um, just to educate employees, keep them interested, you know? And Mm -hmm. um, so so we really have moved from kind of a rules-based mentality or philosophy to um, we want an ethical culture. We want to hire people that, you know, are inclined toward integrity. And it starts there. And I find that leaders often don't want to talk specifically about ethics because it's not comfortable to them. Those words are not comfortable. Um, And so I hear things like, oh, it's in our DNA. And I'm like, hmm. I mean, the issue with that is in the last two years, everyone we've hired is remote. So they've never been in the office. They don't have the benefit of seeing their supervisor, you know, how they behave, setting good examples. Um, Everything's virtual. And and a new employee may or may not be in a lot of meetings with their supervisor, you know, so there's no hallway or water, you know, catch up. And so to say it's in our DNA, I mean, we've hired thousands of employees that were onboarded remotely. So to assume we know what our values are, I, I think that's kind of a scary assumption. So um, I think we have to try harder than ever now to win the hearts and minds and to get them to understand what the company's values are, because there's much more risk that they could just continue with the values of their last company or the country that they're in, or, you know, I mean, there's certain business customs in some countries that are legal under U.S. law. We want them to understand that. So, um, so yeah, it's a really interesting time for ethics and compliance professionals. I mean, I, I think it's key for us to engage new employees that have never been in the office, um, employees that may continue with the hybrid model and be in the office very little. Um, on the diversity and inclusion side, I'm really worried about proximity bias, you know, where if you're not in the office, it's, you know, there's some sort of assumption that you're not working as hard as those that are in the office. I mean, I think the company is getting more out of me today than they ever have because I don't have my 45 minute commute. I work during both my commute times, plus I stay online at night because people are like, oh, 
you're at your computer. Why can't you be on a call with me with China or India? Right. Or, you know? So it's, it's a different day, but I, I just think that ethics and compliance has a huge role to play um, in making sure that the culture that you want, you know, is allowed to flourish given all of the changes in our business and the uncertainty. You said something interesting a second ago where you said, you know, many times leadership, they don't want to say these words. And it's almost like I kind of got this picture of like the words don't taste good in their mouths. So why? So tell me some more about that and talk to me about why it's not clear for leadership to really uh, empower ethics and compliance to drive that culture, which to me is the only sustainable competitive advantage in business. Well, I mean, if you think about it, a lot of people are promoted to the top not because of their soft skills, but because of their technical skills, their results. And so I, I'm not even being critical about this. It's just a fact. I mean, I, I've worked now with multiple CEOs, CFOs, you know, and I just see that um, it's just not something that they've been rewarded for. Um, and, and with these kinds of results-oriented people, you get what you measure. So what are they being measured on? They're being measured on financial results, you know, sales results, um, driving growth, you know, in other countries or driving growth in general for the business. And so trying to fit in those, and I look at it this way because I used to have large construction teams reporting to me in a previous position. And when we'd have a problem, they they always had this saying that was like, get her done, which is hilarious, but get her done. And then I would always respond back the right way, you know, because right. it's, and that's really what it is. I mean, I think executives are very comfortable talking about how we're going to kill it in the marketplace and, you know, we're going to conquer this and conquer that. But I, I just think about the lower level employees that need to know how we're going to do that because the how is just as important as the what. So Yeah. And you said something interesting about, um, you know, all these rules. And I kind of think that this compliance 2.0 approach was very rules-based and we've got to apply these rules and pound them into people's heads and stuff. But it's kind of interesting if you think about those rules are stemming down to a root or stemming from a root of principles, right? Like there are certain principles that then the government or whoever the rule body is, the Mm -hmm. rulemaking body is, was trying to apply to specific situations and specific situations. And so there's this like, there's this like web that grows from these base principles. And then we try to grab all these, all these endpoints and just try to like dump them into the minds of this workforce that to your point is many times not even like dealing with one of these situations uh, that frequently. It's so much more effective, I think, to bring those principles to bear through parables, through stories, through whatever, so that people can get a general sense on like, well, what's there's usually a why behind these rules, unless they're just like, are even like the massive tax law, you know what I'm saying? Like the tax law, you can sit on it and you, you'd be six feet tall or whatever. Um, that's all rooted down into some principles that are behind, you know, behind that law, those foundational things. So if we can learn those, those principles and digest them, then we can make a pretty good guess for what we should do in any kind of a given situation without having to go through all of the like mental yeah. gymnastics of like memorizing all these different, like, you know, yeah. regulations and whatever is intuitive, you know, I mean, there you if go. You think about if you think about, um, I, I mean, most rules, regulations um, for business, 
relates to creating a fair marketplace and and a mar and you know a uh, business environment that does not harm. And right. so, at the end of the day, I think most employees, if you think about it from that perspective, they think that makes sense, you know. But when they're only hearing about these really technical, just like you said, I mean understanding the root or the source of where these things came from can be really compelling for understanding. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, we often skip that and go straight to our, you know, do this, don't do that. And, and if they can't think for themselves, I mean, then, you know, the chances of you having, a, you know, good compliance is probably very low. Yeah. Or you then sort of grow into that caricature that many of us are fighting against of, us just holding the business back. Like if folks are so paralyzed because they're like, ah, I don't know, I'm sure there's a rule about this. I don't know what it is. I don't want to get in trouble and they can't run forward. Um, I mean, that's why, you know, that's why the lines around a soccer field or a football field need to be very clear. So folks know what's inbounds and out of bounds and they can run fast and run freely within the bounds yeah. of, of that field. You know what I'm saying? Of that play area. Um, so how have you, Talk to me about how you've actualized and brought this sort of concept that you and I are talking about in, in almost a kind of a high level or academic sense. How have you brought that to bear in your very complex cutting edge organization that's dealing with a lot of these, these you know, dynamics that are just part and parcel to the new normal? Yep. Um, I, I would say the bottom line for um, my team and I is that we recognize that it's not always easier or faster to do things the right way. So when we see employees that are, you know, doing the right thing, leading by example, um, a couple of years ago, um, someone on my team developed, we call it the lead the way program. And so we recognize employees and they're nominated by their peers, but we recognize employees that are going above and beyond to do the right thing. And then each level up in the recognition program, it's just, it's basically based on your contributions. Are you yourself doing the right thing? Next level, are you helping other employees to do the right thing? Next level, you're an absolute rock star champion. You know, right. the entire organization recognizes that you're an upstander, you know, and, and wants to follow you. And so um, I think that that's one way. And then we treat that group and there's probably close to a thousand employees in that group right now as sort of our circle. Um, and when we want to get messages out, um, wow. want to check in and see how things are going. Cause we know we're having a really crazy quarter. Uh, you know, we're, we check in with that group. It's usually a Friday thing. We just sent them Valentine's cards today, which was, oh my gosh, we're getting the cutest notes back, but, wow. um, you can probably tell most of my team is women, but <laughs> because <laughs> our programs are often a little skewed toward, you know, what we like. Um, and so, uh, but like I said, we had to build our own, um, we had to build our own circle because we're not in the circle. So um, interesting. These, these are folks that we definitely include in everything, um, try to celebrate their wins, um, give them recognition that others may not give them. Um, we just decided recently that when we do um, award someone or bring them into the program, we're also going to submit third party feedback for their performance reviews, because I think this is often 
performance that goes unnoticed. It's totally taken for granted. Well, and um, it's the most important performance in many cases. Yes. You know? Yes. But again, even if it's in your DNA, I mean, paying attention to all the details and being proactive to reach out if you don't understand if you have a risk or you don't have a risk. Um, these are all things we're trying to encourage. And um, as that community grows, um, I mean, number one, my team is super happy because they're all very cooperative and they're helping us to drive the progress that we want. It's not just our small team of 15 that's trying to do this for a workforce of 45,000 that are in you right. know, 38 countries. Now we have folks in every country that can help us with um, driving the message and the change that we want to see. So um, many of us fall into this trap and you kind of alluded to it before that we're just sort of myopically focused on the explicit authority. The, the authority that we think comes along when we get this title. And boy, if I just had this title, then everybody would respect me and my wishes would be done. There's actually, I believe, the implicit authority, the implicit relationships that we have, that's really where the game is played. And you know, I'm sure, I mean, you've been in situations where nobody listens to this person with the title. They listen to this person who doesn't have a title, but they have all the power. And yeah. that hearts and minds thing, the thing where people are going to listen or be influenced, irrespective of uh, whether they're, whether it's demanded of them, that's really the game to be, to, to play. That's like the battlefront that we have to win. And I love this picture that you guys have created where, you know what, we're not in the circle, so we're going to make our own circle, but like the change that you're going to drive there is going to be the real change. You understand what I'm saying? Like somebody who's in the circle is uh, quote unquote circle. Um, they can put something out, but if nobody buys into it and nobody actually does it when no one's looking, then it doesn't matter. And it's obviously going to fall flat. I would surmise that the people that are in this circle that you guys have, have created, there's a lot of implicit power there that's maybe not tied to a title on the bottom of a business card or the title on the bottom of, a, of an email or something, but it's full of the types of people that are actually going to influence the culture, actually influence the behaviors of the people, you know, the people, the boots on the ground folks. And right. that's, that's, that's really the game. How do you kick that off? Like, let's say you're coming in into an organization and it's a 45, you know, again, 45,000 person organization, and they're really doing it in the old way. And there's all these operations across, you know, across the world. What are some reasonable goals somebody could set to say, okay, I want to have a circle of 500 people in two years. Like, how do we, and how do we get there? Um, I think, again, I'm not very good at like sales or promotion. That's just not my strong suit. But the first thing I would do is hire someone that is. It's not an obvious position for compliance, but I am not someone that thinks about social media. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I'm just not good at that. It's not a, a skill that I have intuitively, but um, I hired someone that that is all she thinks about and her background is in learning and development. So on top of helping us promote our brand and our circle and our program, I mean, she, she also helps us um, on the training side with how do people learn? And awesome. like I said, training at the beginning was super painful. And when I think back, I'm actually kind of embarrassed just by a, how procedurally heavy and boring it was. Right. Um, but now I look at, you know, chat because all the, the training has to be virtual. But I mean, there's people asking questions. There's, you know, hearts on, you know, wow. statement. And I'm like, it's just a completely new day. I'm, it's I'm working. I'm so proud of the progress. Yeah. And, and it is about branding and people knowing who you are so that they know who to come to. Um, 
And even if it's not your area, for instance, I don't handle antitrust compliance for the company. I don't handle uh, export compliance, but I'm a good traffic. You know, I will drive traffic to those teams that comes to us just because people know who we are, because we yeah. spend a lot of time on branding, promotion, recognition. And when you have a small team, it's hard to use your resources that way. But honestly, I think that's a fast way to drive change than to, you know, just keep driving heavier um, procedures and right. systems and, you know, requirements. Um, not that those things aren't important. And I think you have to have a defensible program, but, you know, killing the business with that stuff is not the goal. So did that feel like a risk when you hired that person? Um, so I'm sort of a gut instinct person when it comes to hiring talent and I had been in meetings. She was actually supporting our finance organization with training and development. Um, also another air, you know, another group that's very procedurally heavy. Totally. Yeah. Heavy. Um, so she knew what she was getting into, but I just met her and I just was impressed by how creative, innovative, the way she thinks is so different than the way I think that it, it was something that rounded out our team because I know that's a blind spot that I have. I, I'm very uncomfortable with promotion. I mean, if my picture has to go out, I literally sweat about it for three days before. <laughs> I mean, she actually gives me a warning, you know, like just a heads up, we're going to put your picture on this one, you know? And yeah. so, um, but for her, you know, every day of the week, she has different color hair, you know, I mean, she, she loves that stuff. So I'm like, okay, I, I literally listen to what she says. And if she says it's important, I used to say no when she first joined the team, but now I just say, you know what, you've proven to me time and time again, that these things are important to build relationships. So I'm in, you know, isn't that, isn't that funny? You had a gut reaction to her and you're like, she's got it. And then she comes in and yet now it's like, okay, I have to, it took a little bit of uh, proving yeah. for you to be like, okay, fine, go ahead and fly. You can fly. I think. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. It's yeah. so funny. But it's, it's such a, I, I mean, you know, to your point, we sometimes forget that we're affecting or we need to, we're in the, we're in the hearts and minds business. That's what we're in yeah. at the end of the day. Um, Nick, I have one more interesting yeah, example please. that may not occur to some ethics and compliance folks, but um, we also hired um, this guy right out of, you know, uh, MBA program and, but his undergraduate degree was in computer science. And I was kind of like, hmm. And I thought, oh, well, maybe he wants to get into my company because he's an engineer and he, this is his way in, but then he's going to leave us and, you know, go to engineering because he yeah. thought after in that, you know, in that area. And so for, for his interview, he showed up with a Wordle for me, an art piece um, that he had programmed that took all these things that I've either said or people have said about me on LinkedIn. And, and, wow. made this, and I was like, okay, yeah, you're hired. This you're hired. Our creative, you know? Like, wow. Um, and then, so that was years ago. And now he's doing all of our uh, RPA, our robotic process automation. He's doing all of our algorithms for high-risk transaction monitoring, like real-time. Wow. Um, so uh, 
like I said, I'm kind of a gut instinct person, but it usually works out. And so um, I just, when I'm, when I'm on CCO calls, like the, I'm with the KPMG um, chief compliance officer group, you just hear the pain about driving innovation in your program with technology. And most people in my position are lawyers, accountants, you know, so right. really hard to know intuitively what to do. But if you hire people like this, that that is literally how they think makes it so much easier. I mean, it makes our program look great, operate great. And, you know, I didn't actually have to do the work myself. I have a person on my team that has that expertise and it was well worth the headcount. So do you find that the average CCO person, like, let me ask you this way. Do you find that you're, uh, you've said this a couple of times that you're a gut instinct kind of a person. Do you find like that's a unique quality that you have in this game? Or do you think that's pretty common? Um, I would say I'm a gut instinct, um, gut instinct kind of leader with people, yeah. um, not as much with business decisions. I mean, then I want, data, I want somebody to, you know, prove to me that this is the right decision. Um, but I, I, I couldn't make a blanket statement about that. I mean, I think, you know, what'd your gut tell you? Just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, but I guess what I'm asking is, it feels unique that you're able to say, you know what, I'm going to go with my gut on this person. And that has allowed you to sort of build out this relatively more diverse team that maybe the normal person who's less gut instinct driven or less open to their gut with respect to people or to make these kind of bets that aren't in the middle of the fairway or aren't, you know, yeah. in line with uh, what you would expect. It may prevent them from being able to gain the benefit of this more diverse group yeah. that can actually allow them to you know, actualize their program better or something. Yep. I mean, I think, you know, again, resources in ethics and compliance is so scarce that people are really careful about hiring because you often have a very, very small team. Um, so it is a risk. I mean, if you end up making the wrong call, it's obviously a risk because then what do you do with that person if they're not pulling their weight and you've got a very small team and a huge workload? Totally. Um, but I think that I've had enough times where I considered it a win that now I'm pretty comfortable with it. Um, and, you know, I recently hired a woman that was with the FBI for 30 years. Um, and she's also a very interesting hire, you know, because yeah, tell me about her for so many years. And I almost feel like she has to be deprogrammed to deal with private, the private yeah. because it's quite different, you know? And so those are the kinds of things that we're, you know, that we're working through because I feel like, you know, one day you're saving lives, you know, and you're looking for terrorists and the next day you're trying to find the guy that stole the trail mix bars, you know? I mean, <laughs> like, right. so, so you almost have to, and, and I feel like I did a good job of explaining how different it was going to be and that the cases were not going to be, you know, like these exciting, uh, you know, 24 seven save a life. It was more like, yeah, they're going to drag on for a little while because we don't have the same level of resources or right. technical capabilities. And, you know, you just have to do your best. And, you know, with her, she's like, once she gets onto something, she doesn't stop, she doesn't sleep, you know, and I'm like, 
okay, you're not in the bureau anymore. Right. But we got to find the trail mix. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. That's an interesting one too, but um, I don't know. People are fascinating. So yeah, they are fascinating. And you know, when you can create, you know, part of what we're talking about is you've brought this diverse group together in your little corner of the world and you've included them in this thing and you've, you know, you've, it sounds like you've, you know, actualize them in pursuit of this, you know, this mandate or this mission for your particular team. And that's such a nice picture of what we can grow, hopefully, if we do our jobs right and, you know, pull our influence strings appropriately, that we can, you know, push out across our entire organization. And then how much power comes from that? Like, how fun is that to be a part of, you know? Yes. I mean, you know how you say a bad egg can be like cancer in the organization, Mm -hmm. but I mean, a good egg can spread and, you know, yes. like, do good things as well. And I think, I think that's the mission. Um, I'm always impressed by how inclusive they are. They have virtual lunch together once a month. Oh, that's awesome. Each other. And um, now it might just be because I almost mandate that because I, I just think that's sort of a bottom line. If you don't have that, you don't have anything. It's kind of the glue that holds an organization together. Um, and I can only control my own area. So, I mean, if I can't get it right there, then there's a problem. So That's true. Um, I want to go back to this thing you were talking about, about proximity bias. And like, how do we fight that? Because that's a real thing. Um, yeah, it's just a, is that just a human nature thing? Is that a, um, I don't know, how do we fight against that? I mean, if you, I always think proximity is such an interesting thing because it's like the strongest force in all relationships. I think, I mean, yeah. my son's best friend is the kid that he sits next to in class. You know what I'm saying? It's just cause he's there, you know? And, and if you think about your, your, your standard, I mean, it's almost like proximity and like, um, uh, scarcity. Like if you think about your standard for like who, who you would be friends with in your neighborhood or something, that's probably a pretty high bar or it's at least higher than what it would be if you were in another country and there's one expat that you that is in your area. You, you'd probably be friends with that person, irrespective of what their personality type is or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So talk yeah. to me about this. So it's a very human thing that I think we're fighting against. And I don't think we've maybe developed the right mechanisms, whether they're, they're technology-based or just like internally to compensate for the sort of the lack of proximity with respect to something as important as work. Well, I'll start with a positive. Um, I think that it actually levels the playing field for our, a little bit for our employees Mm. that are outside the U.S. Good point. um, Because they've always had this problem, you know? Yeah, great point. So I, I feel like it's a benefit for them and I feel like it's actually given them more exposure than they would have had in the past. Um, but for those of us in the U.S. that sit at headquarters, I mean, we are very aware that our executive team is um, interested in having everyone back on site for some amount of time and that being on site is very important. I think part of that goes back to the fact that we're in tech and they are very worried that if engineers can't collaborate, that innovation will stifle. Um, yeah, that that has not borne out in our actual productivity. Um, our patent filings are up thirty percent, um, but it's interesting. Just, it's just a philosophy, you know, that if I can't see you, touch 
feel then, you know, you're not working hard enough. Innovation may suffer. I think it's just sort of a natural fear. Yeah. Um, but I'm hopeful that over time, it won't be a risk. People will again, just adjust to that change, the hybrid change. Yeah. Um, I think people adapt. Uh, it may take a while. Um, and, you know, I just, um, when I think about uh, underrepresented groups, I know it's harder to speak up. And when you have large calls, you know, you're still inclined to not put your camera on or, you know, to not speak up because those that always talk are talking the whole time and taking right. the air, you know? Um, so, <laughs> you know, in terms of mentoring, I, I just am like, have your camera on, you know, make sure you say something, make, even if it's a question, you know, make your presence known. You have um, to. Because I think it's really important um, for, for individuals to understand what these folks are contributing, you know, because it, it may not be obvious. So they're just doing all the work behind the scenes. When you're talking to your mentor, like your mentees, I love some of those, those pieces of advice that you've shared. Um, what, are, what do you think the biggest, like, I don't know, I know you do this a lot with a lot of different folks. Like, what are the big light bulbs that consistently turn on for, for people? Um, so I'm just going to acknowledge that I mostly uh, mentor women. So I, that's the group I'm focused on. Um, I'm the executive sponsor for our, um, Q women group, which is our, um, internal employee group, uh, yeah. employee network group for women. Um, so I think some of the common themes, um, that we discuss in our meetings, uh, one is presence. Um, another is um, promoting your contribution, how to promote your contributions in a constructive manner so mm -hmm. that it, it's not viewed as, you know, annoying or boastful. Um, another is um, getting to the point. I, I see that women have a tendency to try to keep proving that they're the subject matter expert. Again, like uh, imposter syndrome, you know, is real. It's a real thing. Totally. And so you know, I've had a few mentees that have said, can you review my presentation or can you attend my presentation? And what I find is that, you know, if you're in the room with executives, you've got like two seconds to get your point across. And I'm looking at these slides that are super dense content, you know, and I'm like, you've already lost them right there, you know? So what are the one, two or three things within this slide that you want to get across? Get rid of everything else, you know, because you have that long to make your point. And so those are some of the common themes. I mean, I, I, I don't, there's nothing, um, I, I, we talk about inclusivity a lot too, because a lot of them, again, don't feel like they're included in the circle within their organization. And so, um, right. you know, even participating in these mentorship programs is an opportunity to build their network outside of their own group. Yeah, and smart. So, so that's just another circle. You know, I look at it as another safe circle. And so right. um, not just safe, but productive circle. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's interesting. And I mean, I had kind of a by the end of last year, I got a little bit um, burned out because I tend to internalize all of the challenges that the ladies have. And it just really, you know, zapped my energy. I was not in a good place because yeah. I've been through all these things. So it's very personal. And, um, but I'm back in the saddle again. I mean, I'm, it's like, 
you know, the signs back in my door open for business, you know, let's, yeah. let's so, um, because again, I don't think anyone should have to make the same mistakes that I did. So let me share my lessons learned so that you don't have to go through the same thing. And maybe you can close the gap on how quickly you get to achieve your objectives, because I feel like I wasn't, you know, I didn't get there in the time frame that I had set for myself. So, was it well good on you know good on you for sharing that that wisdom so people don't have to keep falling off the same bicycle um but when you got frustrated by it was it just that man this stuff is still happening like what what was at the root of that um i mean obviously it's it's just it's painful to even talk about but i i was in the same role for 10 years. That was not my goal. I was super frustrated. Yeah. And it wasn't until I, I got myself in the right frame of mind to say, it may require that I leave, you know, and, and go be successful somewhere else and achieve my goals somewhere else that I got happy again. I got productive again. I mean, I went back to school. I, I wanted to be more challenged, honestly. I just yeah. felt, you know, I've been doing the same thing forever. Um, clearly, you know, my area is not, you know, highly valued or something because I can't seem to, you know, break through this, you know, glass ceiling, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then when I finally reckoned with that, then the opportunity appeared. So it's Isn't like- that funny? This very strange, you know, I'm like, boy, it's I a paradox. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> but it's you so know, paradoxical, right? I mean, it's not until I mean, it's kind of a cliche to hit rock bottom. I'm not even saying that. I'm just saying, like, until you get to the point where you're like, okay, I have to do something different. Yep, absolutely. I mean, I had to open my mind again. I had to be happy again. I had to have different challenges. I mean, one of the um, one of the components of the program that I um, participated in was on ESG, and I love that area. So, I mean, being able to focus on that, you know, for hours every evening was really interesting and right. gave me energy again. And I actually think just saved me from making a rash decision. You know, what if that opportunity had come up, you know, two weeks after I left or something? I would have been right. so disappointed, right. you know, so, um, but you know, it's like, it's like, we all have something special in us. We all have something, you know, I think we all have genius in us. And sometimes we're in this, in these circumstances that kind of curtail that genius. And it's like a potted plant that's like sitting in, in a closet and not getting any, any sunlight. But if you can get a shift in your mentality and that, that magic that's in you can start to come out again and your exactly. perspective can shift a little bit. Many times they're many times you'll see an opportunity that you didn't see before, or many times it'll be like, Oh, wow. I can't believe that this, this door opened. Well, maybe that door was there and you just, you didn't notice it or something, but it's, yeah. um, it's, it's hard though. It's hard to balance through that, through that, that tightrope of life. Um, yeah. and you know, it's hard to not get jaded because you're trying so hard and you're putting your heart into things and it, no one's noticing it, or you don't know to speak up or you don't know how to kind of play the game. Right. Mm -hmm. And you've, Think about the impact. I mean, for someone who's in a leadership position and has a team, when you get into that really negative frame of mind, totally. I mean, are you really doing your best work? Are you really supporting your team to achieve no, right. their goals? You know, I mean, so 
I'm being completely honest here. You know, I mean, that is where I was and I, I was struggling with those kinds of issues. And it wasn't until I just kind of said, okay, you know, I may not achieve this goal. I, I may have to go somewhere else to do it that I finally was like, you know, go back to school, learn something new, be happy again, be challenged again, you know, and then suddenly, you know, my work life changed too. So Isn't that crazy. It's so, it's so interesting. You know, um, I read this book, Lean Out, um, and have you have you heard this book by, by Marissa Orr? No. It's kind of the answer to Lean In. So this is going to be a broad brushstroke and a kind of a caricature of Lean In. But Lean In is basically saying, well, women act more like a man. That's not exactly what it's saying, but it's kind yeah. of that. Well, lean and this in is kind I'm of familiar with, yeah. <laughs> well, the antithesis. This is kind of the antithesis of it to say, you know, a truly diverse and inclusive culture should allow for all kinds of personality types right. and it should allow for, and also a proper, and women shouldn't have to act like, again, this is like a caricature. They shouldn't have to act like men in order to be successful. They should be able to act like women and act how they actually are to be successful. And there's little things that we can do. Some of the things that I'm sure you share with your mentees, but it's a really great, great book that I'd highly recommend. It really opened my eyes a lot to, um, you know, she articulates well, you know, and she comes from tech and I think she worked at Google and stuff like that. But like um, it articulates well the um, the struggle that many women have where it's like, well, I do, do I have to be fake? Do I have to be this fake version of myself yeah. to be successful? And, you know, um, I've been as you were talking, I've been, you know, when you gave me that sort of mental picture of this slide with a bunch of information on it and, you know, the over explaining. Um, I was thinking back to that um, that Kenneman book, Thinking Fast and Slow, and it talks about these two different systems, right? We have a system one and system two. System one is our base uh, animalistic, uh, yeah. emotional um, system. And system two is this, you know, logical, deliberate system that we think, you know, that's, that, that's the logic area. And the power, the powerful one, the one that actually turns the head is that first system. It's that emotional one. And I think many times when we are sort of soaking in that imposter syndrome, and that's really kind of getting into our brains and getting into our hearts and we're, we're questioning ourselves, we think that we have to like over-explain things. And we think that we have to like come across as super logical and so forth. But like logic makes you think, but emotions make you act. And if we're trying to make somebody act, it's really on that emotional uh, level, which we all have. And, you know, many times, um, some of us who think that we have to be these cold versions of ourselves to be successful, we actually are sort of more successful when we lean in to, to that, um, to that, you know, that more emotionally persuasive, you know, aspect that we think maybe doesn't even has no place in like the business world or something. It's just, a, again, a very weird paradox. Yeah. We, uh, we had a panel, um, sort of, interview event um, for our three women group one time. And this was a couple of years ago, but um, we had two male panelists and, and one uh, woman. And I was kind of like, do we not even have enough women to fill the panel or, you know, um, which I'm sure that wasn't true. The, the men that participated are executives in our company. They're great. But I, you know, I asked the question of one of the panelists, you know, what, what can women do to, to stand out, to be recognized, but not to cross that line where, you know, if you're too aggressive, you know, you're the B word. If you're 
you know, if you're too quiet, you're too nice. Um, you know, and I said, what would you recommend? And, and he said, you know, just be your authentic self. And yeah. I said, okay, well, let me share my last 360 review with you, which was completed all by men because above me is all men. And that's, you know, those are the folks that I need input from in order to move up. So we did a 360 and I said, you know, it's all about presence, you know, and, you know, command a meeting and do all this. Well, that is not my authentic self. I mean, I have a way to get things done, but it's not that way, but it's still effective, you know? And, and he said, well, you know, yeah, that's tough. I mean, we just sort of ended the conversation there. But With a shrug. Yeah. Back we get, you know? Yeah, and right. I thought, okay, but I, I just, how does that help me? It doesn't help. It doesn't me, help you. Know? you. And There's no actionability in it. Yeah. Yeah. If you are okay with our authentic selves, then you have to just look at the results, not how. Well, right. You That's know? right. So anyway, yeah, it's an interesting conundrum. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my gosh, I'm just like thinking about that thing. It's like, okay, so. I mean, to your point, like, what's the result? How do we get to the to the outcome? The path to the outcome, unless it's sort of like categorically bad, is right. kind of irrelevant. Right. You know what I'm saying? But do you think, I mean, I actually think he was very sincere. I'm sure he was. He could be his authentic self and achieve his career. Yeah. You know, it, whereas, you know, when you said that, I was like, yeah, that's the answer. And then it's like, well, maybe that's just really easy for me to say, <laughs> you know? I don't know. I mean, I mean, and those were, those were allies, you know, so it, it was a very interesting discussion. And, you know, someone from HR came up to me afterwards and said, I think we need to work with our, you know, our male allies, you know, to educate them more on the types of responses that are going to resonate and, and be helpful, you know, mm -hmm. to the group. I mean, he, he basically acknowledged that that is a disconnect, you know, and totally. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting and was even encouraged that, you know, he was willing to, to do something about it, you know, and, and talk to them. So I guess we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Um, well, thanks for sharing that. That's a, that's a, that's an interesting uh, story. And it's, I don't know, I really love doing this show. Like it's, I always like learn so much when I talk to somebody and I get a glimpse into something, you know, I feel like, oh yeah, I understand that. And I talk to somebody and then I'm like, oh wow, I don't really have even an, I, I can't even imagine what that's like, you know? So it's an eye opener for me, you know? Yeah. I, you know, I mean, what's interesting for me is I, I look at your posts, uh, you know, on LinkedIn and um, you're very kind. You're very focused on, you know, doing the right thing but you don't hold back. And, and I don't always feel like I can do that. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm worried about being judged as, you know, for saying something that everyone didn't agree with or, you know, so it's, uh, it is interesting. It's a journey. I mean, yeah, you just have to get comfortable in your own skin and then be willing to accept the consequences. If you say something that, you know, someone doesn't like or agree with or, you know, 
And again, this is why I'm not a big promoter of social media. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's um, that fear of judgment is a is a hard one. It's hard to get over it, and it's hard to. I mean, I'm not. I I'm definitely not not over it. I I worry about that kind of stuff all the time. You know. Really. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and like the imposter syndrome thing. I mean, I don't know anybody who doesn't feel that way. I have other. I have friends who are CEOs of big companies. I was talking to um, a friend of mine yesterday. She runs a billion-dollar company, and she was sharing the same things, some of the same things you're talking about, some of the uh -oh. same things that I'm talking about. And I think it's just, it might be that that thing we we were talking about earlier. Like you think when you get this title, then yeah. You know, or if I arrive at this, or I, if I have that seat at the table, I would bet that 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 seat at uh, that seat at the table is full of a bunch of like insecure little boys. I wonder. I, I you know mean, what I'm saying? Yep. I, I and mean, I'm a, and I'm an insecure little boy, so I can say that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, exactly. I, I mean, I think the best way to chip away at it though is just to be more creative about your circle and your network because the more 100%. you feel supported, like the more confidence you gain and the more you are willing to share your real thoughts, you know? Mm -hmm. and so um, as much as I used to associate networking with politics, I finally learned that, you know, if you're not, um, if you're not included in your current circle, that doesn't mean there's not a circle for you. You Correct. just have to find it or you have to make it. And so that's um, right. I love that quote. That's the best quote. You got to find it or you got to make it. And you know what? There's so much negativity in the world. And if you fixate on that, then it's going to make you, you know, never leave your house or just never right. leave your shell or something. But right. there are other people out there that there's a tribe for all of us. And there's, there's other people out there that look at the world like, like you do and that look at the world like we do. And want to want to see you know have a similar vision for what could be, and those are the people that we need to need, need to surround ourselves with because if if we're not to your point, if we're not like intentionally trying to build that circle, we're just going to get diluted and chewed up and spit out by all these other people that are too insecure or too scared or too focused on things that don't matter or too focused on self or whatever to create this yeah. thing that's that's right there for us, you know. And you don't realize how short your career is. I mean, wasting time in totally. that kind of frame of mind is just tragic, you know, because totally. I want to make a difference. I mean, which means I have to be in the right frame of mind to do that or I'm my own worst enemy, you know? So right. again, the circles you make, the circuit, the circles you find that include you and, you know, give you confidence and allow you to share your contributions without being fearful that it's not a great idea or, yeah. you know, whatever. It's just, I mean, I think, I just think it gives you personal satisfaction, professional satisfaction. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate that you can't be in the circle, but there's lots of good circles out there. So. Yeah. Yeah. The circle though, the circle, oh man, I wish we had more time. Cause, um, <laughs> this has really been great. We'll, this is great. well I'm glad you're in my circle. So how's that? <laughs> I feel the same way. And You're you know what? This is the circle. Excellent. This is the exactly. circle. We're in the circle, me and you. Okay. Yes. <laughs> the compliance line circle. They're great. Yeah. yeah. It was so great to uh, to meet you face to face. This was really a lot of fun. Where can people find you on LinkedIn? Is that is that where they should reach Absolutely. out to you? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, LinkedIn thanks for all that you're doing to make the world a better workplace in your company and the leadership you're showing to um, the women that are your mentees. 
And uh, the next 10 years is going to look a lot different than the last 10. I can guarantee that. I hope so. I'm betting on it. So <laughs> Me too. Me too. Thanks, Nick. This was and, great. I really until next time. Okay. Bye. Bye.